Thanks, Zach. And uh, Zach was saying, uh, my wife uh, Ruth and I, we started attending uh, during the summer online. Uh, we just uh, recently moved from Toronto to, to Dundas, although it's, um, it's been kind of a move back home for me. I, I grew up in the Hamilton area and spent most of my working life uh, in Hamilton. Uh, so it's nice to be back in this area again, and we've been enjoying our, our time at, uh, at Westside. Yes, yeah, so as Zach mentioned, I'm going to be speaking this morning about wisdom and uh, how wisdom gives us a beautiful life. There's so much uh, going on in the world today that can cause fear and sometimes deep disappointment and confusion. And there's so many gray areas. Things aren't always, you know, clear in terms of what we should do. So how do we navigate this? Well, the Bible calls us to a certain kind of wisdom the wisdom that is available to us from heaven. And that can make, move us from feeling like just victims of circumstances beyond our control to having a life that really displays God's beauty and transforming power. And so I'm going to be speaking from uh, James this morning, and, and uh, hopefully some of the things I'll be saying this morning will, will complement uh, what Dave has been uh, guiding us through over the last few weeks. And uh, James, he's one of my favorite authors in the New Testament. He's rather blunt and, and straightforward, kind of hard-hitting kind of guy. He's practical, and he has a, a spirituality of, of faith in action that is good for us to hear. So I'm just going to be walking through this section of Scripture, James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. We'll walk through that this morning and uh, delve into what it has to say to us. So verse 13 starts off this way. He said, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And it's very interesting in this verse when James says a good life. Let them show it by their good life. And in the Greek, that word means lovely, attractive, and beautiful. So it's talking about a wisdom that reflects God's goodness and beauty and truth. And, and it, as we are transformed by this heavenly wisdom, uh, we have a beautiful life that reflects God's beauty and truth. Jesus said that those who are connected to him by faith are to be salt and light. In fact, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world because of your connection with me. And what he was saying there is that we, rather than being victims and being acted upon, because of our connection with him and his life in us, we can have an influence on the world around us, a renewing and preserving influence. And that is especially true as we learn to walk in heavenly wisdom. So what is wisdom? Well, the definition of biblical wisdom can be said like this. It's knowledge and perception insight, and the capacity to properly apply it in each situation. So I'm just going to repeat that. Heavenly, uh, biblical wisdom is knowledge, perception, and insight. But not only that, but it's the capacity to properly apply it in each situation. And I might add also there's an element of the supernatural there, of God's voice, God's spirit working within us and giving us his life. One biblical example that 
probably where many of us are familiar with is from the life of Solomon, King Solomon. If, if you remember his story, when he inherited uh, the throne of, of, of Israel from his father David, he had one prayer, and he prayed that God would give him wisdom to rule and, and to serve his people. And God said to uh, Solomon, because you didn't pray for, for wealth or for power, but prayed and asked for wisdom, I will give you wisdom. And not only that, but with the wisdom, I will give you also power and wealth. And uh, so he was known for his, his wisdom. And there's one story that we find in 1 Kings chapter 3 of uh, two, two women who lived in the same house. They, they both had young babies they'd recently given birth. And the story goes that one of them, during the night, accidentally rolled over and smothered her baby. And she woke up, and, and there was her, her child dead in bed with her. And so uh, she quietly took up this dead child and went to the other room where the other mother was sleeping and exchanged her dead child with the woman's living child and, and put the dead child, dead child in her arms and, and went back to her room. Well, in the morning when, when the, mother of the, uh, the, the, the other mother woke up, she realized right away that this, this dead child beside her was not her child, and she confronted the other woman. And this led to a big conflict between them. And so this conflict was brought before King Solomon. And he heard both stories. And uh, then he said, he called for someone to bring him a sword. And he said, okay, you both claim this baby is yours. Well, I'll just cut the baby in half, and you can each have half of the baby. Well, of course, uh, he had no intention of doing that. But he, in his wisdom, he knew that that act, that question would, would reveal the hearts of each person and bring out the truth. And sure enough, the, the woman who, whose baby had died said, yeah, that sounds fair. I'm, I'm okay with that. But the, the, the woman who was the real mother said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. She can have the baby. She was willing to give up the baby so that the baby could live because that was her baby. She loved her baby. And so um, King Solomon's words in that situation um, uh, revealed the hearts of each person and brought about a just result. I was thinking this week uh, of another more recent example of wisdom and how wisdom can, can help it guide us through difficult decisions in life. And I was thinking of uh, South Africa in the 1990s when apartheid, that, that horrible uh, form of systemic racism that was, had been part of South Africa for many years, uh, and had caused so much suffering when that, that system came tumbling down and Nelson Mandela was released from prison and became president of the country. And uh, they were faced with this dilemma of what to do with all the injustice that had happened. And some and, and people around the globe, while, while happy about the change, they were predicting a bloodbath because there was, there was so much pent-up grief and anger about the injustice that had been going on for so many years. And uh, Nelson Mandela, along with people like Bishop Desmond Tutu, got together and came up with a very unique way of dealing with this problem. And rather than just go in the direction of punitive justice, of retributive justice, of just bringing those people up who have been guilty uh, of murder and, uh, and abuse and, and handing out uh, judgment on them and punishment. They wanted something that would go deeper to heal 
the soul of the nation. And so they, they came up with uh, something called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And what this, the purpose of this was to bring the people who had, been, who had suffered and been victims or the families of victims, bring them uh, to come and, and share their story and to bring the perpetuators, those who had been guilty of, of um, violence and, and in killing people, and have them come and have a chance to tell their story and to repent and, and to hear the others. And uh, one wonderful uh, moving story that came out of that process was of a mother whose son had been kill killed by the police. And uh, after she told her story and one of the policemen who had been involved in that incident told his story and uh, had a chance to uh, express his remorse, the judge turned to the woman and said, what do you want done in this situation? What do you want done with this man? And she said, I want him to come to my house every Sunday for lunch and have lunch with me, because that's what my son used to do. And so that was the sentence, in a sense. And that man was obligated to go and have lunch with that woman every, every week. And over the weeks and the months and the years that he did that, there was a real bond and, and friendship that formed between that man and, and that woman whose son he had, he had killed. And uh, he almost became like another son to her. And, and over the years, uh, there was a real healing that took and transformation that took place in each of their lives. Oh, what, that's such a wonderful example of what godly, heavenly wisdom can do in bringing uh, peace and, and reconciliation and healing to a broken world. I think you'll agree with me that our world today and our lives today and our society today is in need of such kind of wisdom, heavenly wisdom. So James goes on and he, starts, he compares two kinds of wisdom, earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And so this is what he says in verses 14 to 16. He says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So James is being James. He's not pulling any punches. He's quite blunt. But he's saying that earthly wisdom is characterized by bitter envy and selfishness. Really the original sin, pride. And it's all, this sort of thing is often fed by fear and pride and insecurity. Secondly, he talks about the source of this earthly wisdom. Where does it come from? He says, it's in your hearts. Bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. So it comes from our inner life, our thought life, and our responses to what goes on around us. And so we're reminded in Proverbs 4, 23, we are told, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Or another translation says, it will determine the course of your life. So we are reminded we need to watch over our hearts and our values and our thought life. Because that really influences where we go in life. Now, James uses three words or three qualities for describing this earthly kind of wisdom. And these qualities are in descending order 
into chaos, really. Each one opens the door to the next. So first of all, he says, well, it's earthly. It's disconnected from heaven's life, from God's life. And I'm reminded, of, when I read this, of Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when it's talking about when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that they had been told not to eat from. And so in distrust and disobedience, they ate from that tree and opened the door to sin, entering into creation. Listen to what verse 6 says. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So it was in pursuit of wisdom, but in the wrong way that the fall happened because they were pursuing wisdom outside of God, independent of God, going their own way and not God's way. And so they listened to the lie and they lied to themselves. Secondly, James says, this earthly wisdom is unspiritual. Not only earthly, but unspiritual. And in the Greek, that word means soulish, natural, restricted to the five senses. In Galatians 5, we're told that if we live by the, if we're born again by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, we need to keep in step with the Spirit, God's word, God's power in our lives. And we're told not to grieve the Spirit. But earthly wisdom leads to unspiritual decisions. And the problem is if we keep resisting the Spirit and going our own way, the Spirit's voice can diminish more and more to the point where we stop hearing the Spirit. The Bible talks about the hardening of our hearts and we to be very careful that our hearts don't become hardened to God's voice through continual uh, disobedience and going our own way. So he talks about how it's, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and then it descends to the point of actually being demonic. Once our hearts are hardened to God's Spirit, we become vulnerable to the downward spiral into bondage and self-deception. Jesus said the devil comes, I, he said I came to give abundant life, but the devil comes to, to, um, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so we need to discern the hidden spiritual battle that we are all constantly engaged in. One that can lead to bondage and deception. And you know what? This can happen to any of us. We're all vulnerable to hardening our hearts and going uh, from earthly to unspiritual to being in bondage and deception. And James says the fruit of this kind of earthly wisdom, he says, is disorder and chaos. And again, I'm reminded of Genesis. It says at the beginning, the world was dark and, and, and in chaos until God spoke his life into the world and brought order. And as we detach ourselves from God and his spirit and his word and heavenly wisdom and go our own way, our lives descend into chaos and disorder. And I think all we need to do is look around even the last two or three weeks uh, in, locally in our lives and even globally, and we can see that or disorder and chaos that can happen. Next, James 
talks about heavenly wisdom. He compares earthly wisdom with heavenly wisdom. And so we read in verse 17. He says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now keep in mind as uh, we go through these qualities that these are ideals and we're all on a journey and hopefully growing into these qualities. But he, first of all, he says, it's, character, it's, it's, it's pure. Wisdom, heavenly wisdom is pure. It wants the truth. It won't hide or make excuses for sin. It's peace-loving. It values people and relationships. It's considerate. It extends to others the mercy that we'd want to receive ourselves when we fail. It's submissive. It's open to input. It's teachable. It's willing to yield and to listen to others. He says this kind of wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. It has mercy and pity on those who are in trouble, even if it's their own fault. It results in practical help. He says it's impartial. It's not wavering or swaying. It treats people with fairness and equality. He says it's sincere. It's honest, authentic, and without hypocrisy. It doesn't wear a mask. The person who's life is influenced by heavenly wisdom is the same in private as they are in public. And it's marked by humility. I think one of the best definitions of humility I've ever heard is that humility is someone who uses their power and position to help and empower others. So that's a wonderful list of of qualities of heavenly wisdom that we can all consider for ourselves. But Paul, uh, James goes on and, and talks about the source of this heavenly wisdom. And of course, the source is from heaven. It's from, a God, from God. It's from outside of ourselves. We're taught to, to, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And being a Christian is, is, is the experience of having heavenly life and wisdom flow into our lives and out to those around us. And James goes on and talks about the fruit of this heavenly wisdom. And he says it's righteousness and peace, right relationship with God and right relationship with others, and harmony and peace between people. Certainly that's something that we all want. So I'm just going to stop here and summarize what heavenly wisdom is, what what biblical wisdom is. It's knowledge, perception, insight, and the capacity to properly apply that in each situation, along with the idea of, of that, that supernatural aspect to that wisdom. It's about the heart, about our inner attitudes and thoughts. It's relational, and it produces in us a beautiful and attractive life that is transforming. Well, how do we grow in this kind of wisdom? Wisdom that comes from God, wisdom comes from God, I might say, but it is also a result of our decisions and habits that position us to receive and grow in that wisdom. 
I'm just going to say that again. Wisdom is from God. It's from heaven. But it is also a result of the decisions that you and I make and the habits that we engage in that position us to grow in that wisdom. I'm just going to finish off by naming three things, three ways that we can grow in wisdom. There's, There's many Many more, but I'm just choosing three today. First of all, we are told to ask God, if we want to grow in this wisdom and have this this beautiful, powerful, transforming life, the first thing we can do is ask God. James says in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So we need to have this learning stance in our lives, a humility, admitting that we don't know it all. And James reminds us that God wants us to ask. So often we just we, we, we wait until the last minute to ask for wisdom when things have fallen apart. And we're to come to him at, at the beginning and ask for wisdom. And he's not going to reprove us. He's not going to criticize us, James says. And we, we need to be listening, willing to listen to God and to others. I've learned uh, to, to, to ask in, in different situations, right in the moment, to say, God, how do you see this situation? What's your perspective on it? And that's a very uh, good question to ask God on an ongoing basis as we encounter various situations during the day. The second way that we can grow in wisdom is to fear God. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now we need to understand what that fear is, because there's a wrong kind of fear that can, uh, that can pull us away from God and push us away from God. But there's a right kind of fear that draws us in to God's love and God's life. And the, and the proper fear of God is a reverence and respect of God and for God's will above everything else. That's being that we above all the other voices that we're hearing. You know, in our society today, we have a real problem. Many of us have a real addiction to pleasing people, of seeking human approval. We're we're so afraid of the disapproval or judgment of others. We're afraid of standing out from the crowd. And that kind of fear is is deadly to the spiritual life. Jesus said, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. So Jesus is saying, if you're you're my follower and you're operating in heavenly wisdom, uh, you're bound to have a few enemies, a few people who oppose you. And basically he's saying, if everyone likes you, then you've got a problem. Proverbs 29, 25 says that the fear of man brings a snare. And when we are operating out of that fear of people and the desire to please people, that is deadly to the spiritual life. True freedom comes from seeking to please God only. True freedom enables us to love God and to do His will and to be the people He's called us to be. You know, and we often think about this in terms of Uh, the society we're in, those people who are out there. But we need to practice that inside the church too because sometimes we we can tend to be yes people to each other and afraid to to speak God's word and to follow God's truth in the church. And each of us needs the gift of people 
wanting to please God only and willing to speak the truth and perhaps disagree at times and work through that. The third way we can grow in wisdom is to listen to God. There are so many voices clamoring for our attention. In any one week, many of us, we, we watch movies, we listen to music, we're engaged in social media, we're talking and engaging with our friends and with the culture at large. And I'm not saying that all of this is bad, it's, it's a mixture of good and bad. But the thing is, all these things are influencing our lives. They're forming who we are. They're forming our inner life and our hearts. And we need to choose who will influence us. We need to make that choice. If we don't, it will be chosen for us. In John 10, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. What a wonderful calling we have. We need to learn and engage in that calling to listen and that privilege of listening to his voice and hearing his voice and following him. But that can be hard sometimes. Uh, the Christian author Henry Nouwen puts it this way. He says, many voices ask for our attention. But listen to your heart. It's there that Jesus speaks most intimately to you. Praying is first and foremost listening to Jesus, who dwells in the very depths of your heart. He doesn't shout. He doesn't thrust himself upon you. His voice is an unassuming voice, very nearly a whisper, the voice of gentle love. Whatever you do with your life, go on listening to the voice of Jesus in your heart. This listening must be an active and very attentive listening. For in our restless and noisy world, God's loving voice is so easily drowned out. You need to set aside some time every day for this act of listening to God, if only for 10 minutes. 10 minutes each day for Jesus alone can bring about a radical change in your life. I want to talk about two ways that we can listen to God. Two ways that, we are, that are familiar with us. First of all, we listen to God's voice and our hearts can become softened to God's voice as we immerse ourselves in Scripture, as we let Scripture mold our inner life and, and mold our worldview. Your lamp, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path, we read in Psalm 119. And so we need God's word to renew our mind and give us a kingdom worldview. The second way we listen to God is through prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to the voice of the Spirit through prayer. Jesus said the spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth. And every day where we have decisions to make, uh, where we need God's wisdom, we need truth to walk in. And it comes to us through God's word and by his spirit. Now one thing about the Holy Spirit is, as we listen to him, the spirit will never contradict God's word. The Holy Spirit may contradict our current understanding and application of God's word, and lead us into a deeper understanding of God's word. But he will never contradict God's word. Now, I'm talking about prayer and scripture, and I don't want this to sound like a guilt trip. 
And some of you may be thinking right now, oh, here we go. The church is telling me that once again, I'm not reading my Bible enough and I'm not praying enough. And I don't want it to be like a guilt trip. But what I want to, to impress on us all is the, how urgent and crucial it is to listen to the right voice, to having our hearts formed by the right voice. And we need to choose the voice that molds us or it will be chosen for us if we're just passive and just kind of going through life and, and absorbing what's around us. We'll be formed by other voices that are not forming us into the image of Christ. It's so difficult and challenging uh, you know, to, in, to, to discern our culture and to, to see past the values and the pressures and the voices of our own culture, and to be formed by the culture of heaven, of the kingdom. And yet it is absolutely essential that, that you and I as followers of Christ learn to do that. One example of this is something that I have found both fascinating and disturbing. As I look back on the, this whole issue of um, systemic racism and slavery, that started in North America in the 1600s. And what a terrible, oppressive, and unbiblical and unchristian thing that was. And what fascinates me and appalls me is that in North America, and this was a problem in both the United States and Canada, I might say, but especially if you think of the southern states that was so supposedly Christian, People went to church regularly and were immersed in that kind of life, listening to the Bible. And yet, they, they, they found no contradiction between uh, slavery and, and practicing slavery and abusing people, and yet reading the Bible and worshiping every Sunday. In fact, some of them even used the Bible to, to justify slavery. And that just goes to show, if, if we make up our minds about anything, we can probably find a proof of it somewhere in the Bible if we go with that attitude rather than a submissive attitude and letting the Bible, the Word, and the Spirit transform us. What's fascinating is that a hundred years before the Civil War and before emancipation, there was a Christian denomination, a Christian group in the United States that faced this problem and called it sin and called it what it was, something that was detestable in God's eyes. And they repented of that. And they decided as a group to release their slaves. And not only to give freedom to their slaves, but also to give back pay to compensate them for the months and years of unpaid labor that they had given. I'm talking about the, the Quakers. And uh, I think at that time, the, the, the Quaker denomination was much more, much more orthodox than perhaps it is today. But, but they, they had a wonderful habit of uh, a tradition of coming together, and in their meetings, they would sit silently and uh, listen to the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit spoke, they would speak what the Spirit was saying. And I think it's maybe at this that caused them to, to be convicted by the Holy Spirit and recognize the sin of slavery and uh, repent of it and do what they did. And, and many of these people, farmers and business people, who uh, released their slaves and, and compensated them actually went bankrupt because of this. 
Now, the question that I have is, why did the Quakers, a Christian group, come to that conclusion a hundred years before the Civil War and Emancipation? And I think you'll agree with me, the Civil War and Emancipation was only the beginning and a very messy, uh, inconsistent beginning. And, and we're still uh, facing the results of, of, of that, that sin of slavery in North America today. It's so easy to not hear the whispers of the Spirit among the many noisy voices of the culture around us. It's easy to miss and to ignore the voice of the Spirit. And so we need those kind of encounters with God through His Word and through the Spirit that will transform us and create a paradigm shift within us. We need to create time and space to quiet ourselves and listen and consider how to obey. And as we do it, as we do this, Rather than having hard, callous hearts, we have soft hearts. His word and his spirit softens our hearts so that we can more and more move in connection with his spirit. So I just want to summarize uh, three main points from this message. Number one, the wisdom available to us from heaven can move us from feeling like victims to a life that displays God's beauty and transforming power. It can guide us through the complexities of life. Number two, wisdom comes from God, but it is also a result of our decisions and habits that position us to receive and grow in that wisdom. And number three, there are three ways to grow in heavenly wisdom. We can ask God, we can fear God, and we can listen to God. I'd like to invite you just to bow your heads and join with me in prayer right now. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. God, you know each one of us. Our lives and what we're going through. I just have a few questions as we, as we pray that you can respond to. Number one, is there some area of your right life right now where you need wisdom? A complex, difficult situation. I invite you right now just to ask God for wisdom. To say, God, I don't know what to do. I need your wisdom. And remember that he's glad to give it. Surrender completely to his will. Set aside any conditions. Ask God, how do you see this? And then expect him to answer, either now or in the coming hours or days. He will answer you. The second question is this. Is there an area of your life where you've realized that you've been operating in earthly human wisdom. Maybe you feel stuck in that downward spiral from earthly to unspiritual demonic into unspiritual and bondage.
I ask you now to stop now and confess whatever that situation is, whatever that activity is, stop and confess it to God right now and ask for forgiveness and cleansing. We have that wonderful promise in 1 John. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and give us a fresh start. The third question I have is this. Maybe if you, if you, as you've been listening uh, to God's word today, you realize that your whole life has been disconnected from God and his heavenly wisdom. You've been going your own way. And maybe you want to, to come to Jesus and to have that connection with God and to receive that beautiful life that he can give through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, through the sacrifice he made for us that we could be forgiven. So if that's you this morning, I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, forgive me for going my own way. I realize I've been operating on a merely human level, and I want to operate in God's level of heavenly wisdom, of heavenly life. I want you to come into my life and transform it and give me your beauty and strength and truth. I acknowledge my sin. I ask you for your forgiveness. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life by your Holy Spirit and make me a Christian. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. If you prayed that prayer, you may or may not feel anything, but you can be guaranteed that God has done that in your life today. And I invite you and encourage you to tell somebody that you've made that decision this week. So, Lord, free us from earthly wisdom, wisdom that excludes you and your truth. Free us from our addiction for approval, from our fear of rejection. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you and your ways better. Lord, give us soft hearts we want to live lives that display the beauty and the loveliness of your goodness and wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.